Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I am Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this is our first episode back in a while. So welcome back, Sarah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it feels like it's been a really long time. I think for the listeners, there'll only be like a gap of about a week. Um, but we are we are both in completely separate uh well separate different locations to we're always in separate locations uh different locations to what we were previously so i'm sure the listeners can hear the difference they can sense the increased altitude from your side (laughs) the uh the dense countryside from my side (laughs) that's how it works right Uh, Yeah, yeah i think so i think that that affects especially when you're recording inside somewhere the uh the outside environment definitely affects the acoustics. 100%. 100%. You heard it here first. Scientific fact. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, but the thing that hasn't changed is this show. And um, we are barreling towards, pun not intended, although pun now intended, uh, towards the second <laughs> half of this film. Um and we are at the one hour and four minute and four second mark to the one hour and six minute and 12 second mark. So that's the scene we're talking about today. This is after the shark attack in the pond on the beach on 4th of July. And a lot happens in this scene. Uh, first, we see... Uh, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we see... Michael Brody, uh, I almost called him Alex Kittner. I like I my brain wanted to call him Alex Kittner so bad. <laughs> we see Michael Michael Brody being rolled out of a hospital room um, on a hospital bed, and uh, Ellen kind of attending to his needs and asking him if he wants anything from home, if he wants any ice cream, um, anything like that, and him kind of weakly responding, uh, except for the ice cream question. He's very hyped about getting his coffee ice cream. Um, <clears throat> and Brody's attending to Sean. He's got Sean in his arms, and they're just, uh, after they wheel Michael um, away, he hands Sean over to Ellen and tells her to take him home, and she asks him home to New York, and he says, no, home here. And then she leaves the scene, and then Brody goes up to Vaughn, who is in the background smoking a cigarette in a hospital, and uh, pulls him into a private little area and pulls the curtain and basically um, talks to him about hiring Quint and Vaughn is still kind of trying to process everything and the devastation he has caused uh, through his poor management of this situation from the get-go. And... uh, the scene ends with Larry finally signing the contract to hire Quint to kill the shark and just kind of living with his uh, 
his choices that have got him to this point. So um, that's the basics of the scene, but there's a lot that happens, uh, I think, just below the surface here. Once again, pun not intended, but pun now intended. Um, so Sarah, what did you see <laughs> that stuck out in this scene to you? Oh, this scene is rich uh, for, for things to talk about. And I mean, I think we've said in some previous weeks, uh, the scenes that we've sort of been like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll find something to talk about, but there's not like tons in here. And yet we've still managed to make it last uh, an hour. And this is one of those scenes where it's quite a, a, a long chunk as well. It's sort of just yeah. over the two minute. Um, and also just a lot happening and a, and a lot to... Uh, take away from it as well and a lot of sort of small moments that have never really hit me like they like they have uh until uh, until now until this until this watch or watching this scene in isolation and one of the bits that just like hit me like an absolute ton of bricks and i'm just i can't believe that i've never given much significance to this moment before but that in that interaction between brody and ellen um where he's just handing over Sean and saying, take him home. And mm -hmm. Ellen says, back to New York. And Brady says, no, home here. My notes is just like all caps, just like, this is so good. Like it's just, <laughs> there's so much in that just like handful of lines, like, and the pause as well, the look that is shared between them after those lines and, and Lorraine Gary just credit once again, she's so incredible such an incredibly underrated actress and that that sort of moment she doesn't need to say anything anything back to him she just sort of like looks at him and there's a, a kind of a half smile but you know the the conversation is all sort of happening in the in the unsaid in that moment as much as it is in in what is said between them and it's i guess the first time that, that we've really sort of sensed that, or for me anyway, sense that there might be uh, a kind of a, a pull back to, to their their former home or, or where they lived previously, which was in New York. And we had that bit on the boat when Brody is sort of like drunkenly rambling about, you know, perhaps uh, as we speculated then, a conversation that happened between him and Ellen about, you know, the reasons why they left New York and then you get this bit where after everything that's happened and after their their son has been sort of uh, a real you know close uh, close encounter to use another <laughs> Spielberg <laughs> film um with the shark it, it's it's now it's hitting so so close to home that they're mm. even beginning to question like where home is and and Ellen sort of you know thinks that this could be the thing that breaks Brody clearly something broke for them in New York that pushed them away from there and now could this be the thing again that that breaks him and pushes him away from where they're living now and the fact that he he then sort of like reassures her and says like no home here and he's very gentle in the way that he says it and and again that sort of pause and moment between them as well is just so so brilliant and so much to take like just from just from that short interaction between them i think i've always found this scene quite funny previously because the the, the michael like being like real hype for coffee or coffee <laughs> ice cream whatever it is that he wants i have always just found really really funny but it's that quiet moment after that just just completely floored me this time around i don't know if it was if it was the same for you but yeah it, it got me <laughs> 
Yeah, that part is great. Um, mm-hmm. I also had never really noticed it before. Um, and so I did you did you watch the film on Fourth of July? Sure did. Yep. Uh, so did I. <laughs> and I think I told you this. It felt illegal. Like I was like, am I gonna get yes. caught? <laughs> Uh, I like when I when we got to this part I was just like should I leave like is it is this allowed (laughs) um and I had noticed like it it also felt like I was watching the movie at light speed um Mm -hmm. I have never thought like I don't think the movie's poorly paced whatsoever but I the movie has never gone by faster than, than after spending the better part of a year watching it one minute at a time and then watching it all at once. Um, (laughs) But when we got to this scene, I was admittedly a little bit distracted where I was like, should I be doing this? And uh, yeah, I did notice um, not that part. I noticed some stuff with Larry later on at at that screening, Mm. but it, it was also, it was on 4th of July and it was an outdoor screening. So it was more like watching Jaws in an active war zone than it was actually just kind of sitting down and watching the movie. Um, because holy moly, there were a lot of illegal fireworks. Mm, I bet. I didn't notice a ton on my watch of the whole film, but watching it for this scene, or for this episode, watching this scene for this episode, um, that moment between Ellen and Martin is really, really great. And I also love the the little ADR responses from Michael about the coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. I assume it's coffee ice cream. I don't know why he would be asking for coffee. Although coffee ice cream is a very adult choice for a child. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the big thing that I noticed, though, is the costuming specifically on Martin in this scene. Because mm. he's... Still got his cop uniform on, but it's unbuttoned and you see his kind of gray undershirt. And this is like when his home life meets his professional life. And I think we see, you know, because he would probably wear that T-shirt around the house. Like it's an undershirt, right? Um, Yeah. And like he'd probably wear it to like do stuff in the yard or whatever, fix the swing set. And uh, it just shows like the, the two kind of layers in the clothing show kind of the two sides of Brody. Like this is Brody dad also being Brody cop because they are now one in the same thing because of how this has affected his child. Like this is something that has come into his home. And this is, this is the point we saw his internal in the previous scene. We saw him internally accepting what needed to be done um, when he's just staring down the ocean but in this scene, we see him putting the events of that into action. So mm. here we see him like being like, this is home. I am the chief of police. I have to protect this. You know, that's his interaction with, with uh, Ellen. And then following into like, now I like, it's gone too far. I have to stand up to, to, to Vaughn um, mm. in this. So, I just thought that costuming choice was really like it's really subtle, but it's really brilliant to just show yeah. that like he's fighting this on both fronts now, and he's not going to stop until something gets done about it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do you know what I'd not really thought about that, but that's a that's a very very good point, and and sort of ties into another thing that that I picked up on as well, which is the sort of um, the the sense of Brody being both the the family man and and the dad, and then his his duty and what he has to do next and i don't know if i've ever noticed larry appearing in the background before he sort of like (laughs) stroll (laughs) he like strolls in he doesn't even look at brody he is like distracted he is looking anywhere but brody and brody sort of like catches catches him out the corner of his eye but he doesn't sort of like rush off in in vaughn's direction he finishes his, his interaction with with ellen um and sort of hands hands Sean over and that is his priority like his his priority is his family and I think it was in last week's episode where we mentioned that now it has sort of like directly impacted Brody and his mm-hmm. family there is only one course of action and this is it now and and this scene is is putting those wheels into motion where Brody now knows what he needs to do and he needs to get the the literal sign off from from Vaughn to be able to go out and do it um so that it is not just you know the personal vendetta of of Brody the dad uh, protecting his family it is is Brody the the chief of police wanting to protect the town of of Amity and he can really only do that um, with the mayor's um, say so or that's what it seems like anyway the how Amity politics works um, but yeah he he hands over Sean and then sort of goes off to to confront Larry um, and there is just the most wonderful uh change in his demeanor that is like i mean roy scheider just so good like every (laughs) every single week i find something new to be amazed at but the the softness and how gentle he is with his son and ellen and how he changes that like on a dime to when he sort of confronts larry and i don't think we've ever seen Brody this forceful like particularly with Larry the way he like reaches into the his pocket and pulls a pen out himself is so good he is like manhandling Larry he is like leading him to a place where he hasn't got all his cronies around him he hasn't got backup he takes him off alone sort of draws the curtain around them so they can have this conversation in private and he is not gonna accept any more of of Larry's bs and the the Larry that we find now is a, a a broken shell of his former self, and and we'll get into that. But yeah, just just that that change in his body language, in his tone, in his expressions, and everything. It happens so quickly and so brilliantly. I just I really love that that we're sort of seeing the the duality of of Brody, those two sides of of Brody, and that that subtle costuming choice you you mentioned actually kind of perfectly ties that idea together i guess yeah that <laughs> that made me laugh super hard when he he just does a straight up <laughs> like no bones about it shakedown of mayor vaughn in this scene <laughs> uh the way he walks over to him like it looks like he's going to hit him and yeah. <laughs> which you know <laughs> We would like Fair to enough. see, um, but it, like it, it, he gets so close to him too. Like it, mm-hmm. I, I almost felt like he was gonna put his head against Larry's head, like he was a boxer or something, because that's yeah. how he walks. He walks over there like he's walking out of the corner of a fight. 
Um, and I, I love it when he's like, you got a pen, Larry? And Larry's like, a pen? And he goes, yeah, a pen. And he reaches so in his good. pocket. <laughs> it's so brilliant. It's so, yeah, it's it's really great. And just like, also, Murray Hamilton's fantastic in this scene where he's just like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> um, and I, I love this, that interaction because, I mean, it really does feel like it's one or two F-bombs away from being out of The Departed or something. Like, yeah. he, like he walks over there with the biggest New York cop energy. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, it the scene would not feel out of place in The French Connection. Um, mm, uh-huh. and like, to me, I was, it was evidence that this is buddy from the French connection yeah. in witness protection, Proven. uh, at Amity. <laughs> yeah. It's canon. <laughs> yeah. This scene proves it, I think. Um, and then like the way he just like grabs him by the arm, like he's like a, like they're at a Victorian ball and he's a man. Like, it, he just like forcefully shoves him into this like tiny room and it's super funny that the only privacy they have is a curtain um mm. because it's not really doing much of anything like everyone can mm. fully hear their conversation i just love the way uh these these two bounce off of each other in this scene because it's not this big bombastic moment like he doesn't hit him it's a war of words it's a war of ideals it's a war of ideology um but it's also submission too on larry's part so it's 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 larry like realizing and i guess we'll get into this later or maybe even now larry realizing he's lost like there's no you know like he tells him like there's you're the mayor of shark city like there's there's no way uh he's recovering from this and like Mm -hmm. uh he uses that as leverage basically to force Larry into doing what should have been done a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we want to talk about sort of subtle costume choices in this scene. It's so great what they do with Larry. He's still in that suit that he was wearing 4th of July. He's, he's not changed. You know, all the characters are in the, the, the clothes they were wearing in the previous scene. Sean is still in his little short and t-shirts. Ellen is still like in her swimsuit. Like they have, they've come straight like from the beach to the hospital, but something has, something has happened to Larry on the way to the hospital because his hair is messy. His like tie is undone, like buttons undone. Like he, he's looking disheveled and uh, unkempt is what I, I put in my notes because this is so unlike like what we have seen him looking like before he has been very put together he's been all about image and this has completely rocked him and and that is there in in how he is presenting himself in this scene as well but also the 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 way he is talking and the things he is saying as well and now i've i've previously said i think maybe even on this podcast that like this is the the only sort of like really human moment we see from we see from larry and i think we get there right at the end of this scene when he sort of says about his kids being on the beach too that is when i see like the one remaining scrap of humanity in him but prior to that point there's still some kind of like not you know not good or or questionable behavior because he is still thinking about how the summer could be saved and it's sort of 
um, bringing back what Brody had said to him previously about had he acted after they discovered that the shark they'd caught wasn't the shark. If if he'd have acted then, they could have saved August, and and they could have done. <laughs> you know that would have bought them some more some more time. Um, so he's sort of muttering about about August. He's obviously like recounting what what Brody said to him earlier. But by this point, it's it's too late. He has acted too late, and in in all of these things, he's been about four steps behind. I mean, the deaths prior to this were Chrissy, Alex, um, and Ben Gardner, and then obviously you know the the guy in the pond as well but that death could have been prevented all they needed to do was close the beaches um Mm -hmm. he's a smart guy i'm pretty sure they could have spun it as uh precautionary measures you know an an abundance of caution is a, a phrase that's been thrown around in this pandemic which i hate but you know that's the sort of speak that politicians use um that he could have said that he could have they could have saved august had he acted then i mean he had the opportunity to act with Chrissy and and sort of took a you know a half-assed approach then had the opportunity to act uh, again sort of you know when when the the shark the tiger shark was caught um but didn't and and has constantly chosen greed and chosen reputation and i think we see how much he values his reputation in the fact that after he's finished sort of muttering about august he's then basically like practicing his party line for the next day um, where he's sort of like saying to himself, um, I was acting in the town's best interests, right? That's, I think that's what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's like, he's pretty much like going through in his head, like his speech for the next day. So you're still, we, we get there eventually with, with Larry and the, and the walls are broken down or, or Brody sort of breaks them down for us by the time we get to the end of this scene. But even, even prior to this, we're kind of like, yeah, he he could have acted he should have acted he didn't like this is his this is his fault and we sort of get like a weird apology from him right at the start of their conversation but it's you know he then is not sort of like you know admitting wrong or fault in himself he is still then trying to think about like how this can be saved and how this can be spun so Larry Larry is always gonna Larry I think (laughs) so I I see two versions of this, and there's a reason why I see two versions of this. Um, yeah. And it's it's like a pretty personal reason. So here's MJ opening up about his mental health again. I have OCD, and mm-hmm. um, with OCD, I have a very mild form of OCD. I don't have a lot of the ticks. I don't have a lot of the um, the the the, the type stuff. My OCD presents. Um, way more under stress, uh, which uh, Larry is under. Now, what I will say before I get into psychoanalyzing Larry from my uh, my video game chair, uh, this armchair <laughs> uh, psychoanalyst, uh, psychoanalysis is one, there is no evidence in the film prior to this that he has that disease. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I will say is when I make a decision and it doesn't go according to plan, the, 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 the OCD causes me to have this exact reaction. 
of just like it's not even practicing for the future of damage control it's muttering over every little decision and thought that i had along the way that led to that decision and Mm -hmm. how Uh it's like recounting my own logic back to me because it doesn't make sense that it didn't go according to plan now that said larry obviously should have known that this would not go (laughs) according to his plan um Uh so to me i see it Uh, And maybe this is my own bias because of the disease that I have. I see it as Larry not practicing his speech, but him going back over the decisions that he was making to be like, I thought I had it right. And now it has blown up in my face. Um, And it is, I mean, this is the first time I've watched this. Well, it's the second time, I guess, I've watched this scene since I've received my OCD diagnosis. And... Mm -hmm. uh, it really like flipped it for me because I was like, oh shit, I, I do stuff like that. You know, if something doesn't go quote, according to plan the way I do, and I think it should have, I will literally stand there like with this vacant expression on my face, the same way Larry is muttering to myself about every part of the decision that I made. Uh, and like trying to think it over of like, I, I thought that was the best decision. There's, why isn't that, why wasn't that the best decision? But every everything that I like, all the evidence that I had told me that was the best decision. Once again, mm. not letting Larry off the hook. It was obviously the wrong decision. <laughs> um, but I do kind of see it. It it could go either way, is what I'm saying. Like it, it could be mm. him recounting that decision back to himself uh, because it doesn't make sense to him, which makes no sense to me. But it could also be him rehearsing for the next day so uh i don't want to i don't want to say he's entirely not at fault this is obviously his fault (laughs) um but i think it does show like i think it shows more his regret than and maybe this is this also comes from i think the the story that spielberg is trying to tell in this movie is ultimately an optimistic hopeful one and so we've talked about Spielberg's distrust for the government and how, like, uh, it, it, you know, it's pretty plain as day in this film. But I think mm. at the end of the day as well, like, we've talked about this being a movie about the human spirit and about perseverance. And so I think he's maybe offering up the most hopeful version of what would happen with Larry as well to where he's like... Granted, uh, like, Jaws 2 probably comes and undoes all this, but uh, (laughs) Jaws 2 doesn't exist at this point. So I'm operating on that. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I think it's, he's presenting it as Larry really is remorseful of this. And like, uh, like he's he's just kind of shocked that he made the wrong decision, which he shouldn't be. And I think the, the movie is saying that, too. I think the movie is saying, like, look, he shouldn't be as affected by this as he is. But also, yeah. he's, he's, he's changing for the better. He's signing off the paper. He's, now he's making the right decision. And uh, mm. the reason I say that's the most hopeful version is because if you look at the last year, that's not what happened. Uh, <laughs> so there mm-hmm. is that. But I, I think I think it's the most optimistic version because I think Spielberg does like to err on the side of optimism rather than cynicism. 
Mm. Yeah, I I do agree with that actually, and it's interesting to sort of like think about it from from another perspective. And and as I have sort of like sat here and and thought about it, like if this if this was the same like confident, uh, able to spin things in control, Larry that we've seen in previous scenes he wouldn't be looking in the sort of like disheveled unkempt mess mm-hmm. that that he is he would be suited and booted and and have his people around him ready to sort of like put the positive spin on this so there has clearly been a change in him and i think that the film wants you to to see him in a different light i don't think that he in any way redeems himself but i i think there is something in what you are saying as well in that we've we've previously spoken quite a bit about how events of the film you've sort of seen play across uh brody's face in his decision making and i think we're basically seeing every wrong decision that larry has made and there's been a lot of them (laughs) uh we're seeing those play out across his face now which is why we get this sort of um the repeated lines i'm i'm pretty sure the sort of like acting in the town's best interest i i feel like a variant of of that line came up in uh in his conversations previously or sort of like the decisions that he made at the town meeting Mm -hmm. and and what he has done since then was sort of what he believed was was acting in the town's best interest because let's face it the pressure he was getting from the town was you know open the beaches our businesses are gonna are gonna suffer that doesn't mean to say that what he did was the 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 right thing to do i mean quite the opposite but he is sort of like playing that decision over in his mind and the thing about august as well even though by this point it is too late to save august because someone else has died and everyone has seen it like this isn't just a couple of the locals on the beach saw maybe a shark or maybe something sort of attacking Alex Kintner. This is like a whole tourist, uh, you know, packed beach full of people that have seen this happen with their own eyes in, in front of them. So there is no, there's no coming back from this. That August is not on the table anymore. This is not something that, that can be saved and, um i i do love that mayor of shark city line i think it's 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 great because it it is quite funny and it's quite sort of tongue-in-cheek and brody is is being very forceful as as we've said but yeah it's the the point of no return has been has been crossed now there is only one course of action that that can be taken now and this is to to hire quint to to kill the shark um but yeah an an interesting way of sort of like looking because you could see it either way i think i don't think either either is wrong or either is right and it just goes to show that in you know we're just two people but other people like watching watching this film would would potentially see it in a completely different way and i know some people have some very very strong feelings towards larry and don't believe that he there is any redemption to be had in him whatsoever um but that that bit where he sort of changes um, and stops kind of like muttering to himself and repeating things that have been said to him previously and going over things in his head. And he says, it's like father to father moment. He's like, I think he, does he address him as Martin as well? I think, which is, um, it seems sort of more familiar. And he sort of says like, my kids were on that beach too. Um, and there's just this looking his look in his eye. And I think that's the only time 
I see it and I do like mm. that we get that moment because it just shows that underneath the facade and the the snappy suits and the the smart looking hair and everything else that there is a a real guy under there whose kids were in danger also um and you see that all across his face and and in his eyes in particular and a great uh performance from from Murray Hamilton just getting that sense of fear and and panic and the what ifs as well i think that that's another thing sort of playing across his mind is the what ifs like that could have been my kid uh in that hospital bed um but it, it it's not but it could have been i think we see all of that uh and all the sort of decision making up to that point sort of playing across his face in that moment which is really really great yeah uh murray hamilton is he's great in the movie but he's particularly great in this scene he's so so good good in this scene and it's uh it's just this this wonderful moment and this is why i choose to buy into the more hopeful optimistic people can change this is sort (laughs) of larry's redemption it's it's too late for sure but i don't think the movie is saying it's maybe too little too late um one the movie is pretty clearly divided into two halves and Larry is the villain of the first half, and we need a resolution with that villain for the shark to take center stage in the second half. Because if we have unresolved tension with Larry that doesn't get resolved by the end of the second half of the movie, and the second half of the movie ends where it ends, it's kind of bad. It's kind of a bad movie (laughs) at that point. And this isn't a bad movie, so... This is a way to resolve the conflict of the first act of the film in a way that isn't spectacle. It's saving its spectacle for the second half of the film. Um, You know, we're not trying to blow up Larry. We're just trying to get him to see the error of his ways. And a film, uh, I think it's just super thoughtful. Like, it's, it's, it's... Uh, especially for, you know, granted it was the standard bearer, but for a film that is, you know, a blockbuster type of film, it it has a lot more to chew on than just, uh, he, you know, Shark, Shark City Mayor is bad. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, he's a full three-dimensional character in that sense and it's rare that you see a villain get that kind of treatment in a film like this Mm. and so i think that's i think that's that's why i choose to believe the the more hopeful version of it and also uh the movie isn't particularly heavy. Like, it's not a depressing movie, you know? Like, it, it, you know, if it really wanted to, if it really, really wanted to, it would lean into Larry doubling down and, like, only doing this to save his image in the in the eyes of the public. But yeah. it doesn't do that, and I think it very much could have. Like, I think if that's the message it wanted you to take away from it, it would have done it. Hmm. Yeah, I guess another reason why the book sort of sucks is because it does um, 
lean into that stuff with Larry a bit more in yeah. his sort of like shady goings on in, in Amity and how he sort of is, is behind a lot of that. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the last time we see Larry as well? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, so uh, there's I I've literally only just sort of like put these pieces together, but I feel like there's something in that as well. If this is the very last time we see Larry, and this is the last line we get from him, where he sort of has this moment of just being like, "I am a father and a human also, and my kids could have could have been the ones who were who were attacked." I I think there's more significance in that than I had potentially thought about before because we then don't sort of like see him try we don't see him trying to save face the the next day or trying to put a spin on this or anything i imagine he probably went into hiding for a couple of days uh just to uh i don't know i mean would he even be able to that's the thing when you're sort of in in public office you have to stand up there and and have these difficult conversations with the people who who you are looking after so that's the i I would like to to see, or at least I can just fill in the gaps with my imagination, sort of like what Larry got up to the next day or the next mm. couple of days whilst yeah. Brody's off on, on the Orca. And I think, um, yeah, maybe it was in last week's episode again that we, we said how ballsy it is of this film, like from, from this point, basically, to just be these three guys on a boat and not going back to Amity and not seeing the aftermath and yeah. not seeing what Larry is up to or Ellen or the kids. It's like, we we're invested in all of these characters. We're kind of invested in, in Larry at this point as well, because he has been the sort of pantomime villain up to this point, but he's very charismatic and he plays it very, very well. So we've enjoyed seeing that. And then this is it We're we're about to sort of go into, you know, just, Brody Quint Hooper on on the boat. We get one more bit with with Ellen um, and a couple of sort of side characters as well. This is the last time we see the the Brody children. The last time we see Larry. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is really like the shift happens <laughs> very sort of like quickly after this into what the the second half of the the film becomes. And I think it is next week's uh, bit that has the like dramatic uh, curtain ripping open bit that I, I yeah. like so much. I thought it was this week. Yeah. I think that's literally where we start next week. So yeah, it is. Um, it is. My mind went a couple seconds <laughs> over and that's definitely what it is. Yeah. I watched it a couple of times just because that's like how I like to enter rooms uh, these days. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like rip the curtain open, uh, especially at the moment as it's like really hot. So kept our curtains closed downstairs to keep some of the sun out so if i'm like coming in from putting the bins out or something i like to just like rip open the curtain like i'm brody in that moment <laughs> That's super funny. it's a great it's a great bit um but yeah this is this is it for larry no more no more larry from this point it's kind of sad actually <laughs> yeah no more no more larry no more sean no more michael we get one more scene with mm -hmm. ellen and mm -hmm. that's that's it but I think that the this scene is so strong that it kind mm -hmm. of doesn't matter because we know exactly what's going to happen. Because we know... The thing is, Quint going out to find the shark is going to be highly publicized. Everyone mm -hmm. is going to know what happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe not exactly what happened on the orca itself, but they know that the orca is going out and going to hunt the shark down. Like... There's no way around that for Larry, and there's no way, like, 
you know, even if he does try to spin it, which I don't think the movie is telling us that he is, that if he does, it's so transparent that even Mm -hmm. the public, like, Amity would be like, what the fuck, what do you mean? Like, (laughs) we know that the, we know that Quint's leaving to go find the damn shark. Like, Mm. it's public record at this point. We know you've signed, you know, but granted this isn't, 2021 and there's no twitter or anything and there's no like digital breadcrumb trail to really like (laughs) nail him down on this Mm. and granted harry meadows is corrupt as hell um (laughs) and lacks any journalistic integrity but (laughs) i think here's here's my headcanon is if if larry does try to spin this and he has uh, you know, Harry in his back pocket. I think that the amount of shark attacks and especially the one on the 4th of July is enough for a journalist from a major publication like the New York Times or something to really do a deep dive and investigate what mm-hmm. actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I don't subscribe to that. I think Larry is then, you know, as honest as maybe a politician can or would be in this situation about what's going on. Um, so I don't think that that is, is what happens, but if he does try to spin it, I, I think that there is a national level expose uh, that happens uh, mm. surrounding what happened on shark city in shark city. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, it's obviously we we've spoken a lot about the significance of it being fourth of july but for a place like amity you know that is their busiest time that's not just when the locals are there that is when everyone is there so you you can't just contain this to amity this isn't just an amity problem anymore this is a sort of like that general area of the country problem because you would have people coming from neighboring islands or from the mainland so you'd Mm -hmm. have people going on their on their vacation like you will have a lot of people there so this cannot be contained anymore you know after the uh the alex kintner attack it felt like everyone in the town was in that small room so they they were all discussing what what to do with it then and even though like a number of of people had been on the beach and seen what had happened or you know seen that uh something had had attacked alex they weren't quite sure what or or you know then obviously with the with the fake shark being caught um sort of put their minds at at ease but there is there is nothing they can do now to to come back from this really or or to try and cover this up i'm I'm not sure they would necessarily try and and cover it up um by this point the you know their business is gonna be lost the tourists are probably not gonna be hanging around um much longer i mean maybe they'll be able to cash in on some of those like shark souvenirs again but that seems in like a little poor taste (laughs) to be honest yeah i don't know if i don't know if people people really want that uh anymore after what just happened yeah like an i survived amity islands 1974 like t-shirt whatever um 75 even let me get the year wrong um (laughs) no 74 the movie takes place in 74 Oh, there we go. See, I wasn't wrong. I just, in my head, just started to doubt it. I was, uh, I was Larry questioning everything I'd ever said and all the decisions I've made. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they wouldn't be 
doing a trade in uh in in that sort of thing in the shark memorabilia in the in the t-shirts in 2021 that would absolutely happen you know there would be someone there just like (laughs) printing the t-shirts like as we speak i survived amity (laughs) yeah definitely well and also that i feel like that's going to become like a tourist t-shirt in like five ten years time because mm. the further we get away from tragedy, the 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 less sensitive we are to it. Uh, sure. Case case in point, there is a board game about the eruption of Vesuvius, and mm. uh, it's called the Downfall of Pompeii. And you have you don't have like people on the board, but you, you have these little cylinders that represent the people. And if they don't make it out, you toss them into a volcano that's on the board. Oh no! <laughs> and uh, the first time I played it, I was like. I just, what if someone made a 9-11 game? Like, th- this yeah. is, this is, uh, this is ancient world 9-11 just in a board game. And we're just, we're just mm. tossing little cylinders into this vol- cute little plastic volcano. Like, this feels very odd. So, mm. that said, I think five, ten years down the road, we absolutely are seeing I Survived uh, Amity Island t-shirts in the shops at Andy. <laughs> yeah yeah when enough sort of like time has passed that it's not uh quite as as raw but um yeah i think the the town would be reeling for for quite some time and certainly no chance of really getting any sense of of normality back for them in the sort of immediate aftermath of this and and yeah you with all of those tourists there i mean this is not this is not just a, an amity problem anymore. Like we said, this is, you know, there would be people there who would call their relatives and, and, and tell them that that evening what happened that, you yeah. know, that day and what they'd seen. And we know there was like sort of media presence there as well. You know, Peter Benchley, reporter, I imagine, had a a, a breaking news item um, right after this because they were on the beach and the, the helicopters and the uh, media circus as, as we called it before with sort of like uh, increased attention anyway on Amity so there's yeah there's there's nothing they can do by by this point there is only one thing uh, they can do following this and that is uh, try and try and get the shark and uh, probably just uh, wave goodbye to their summer profits I think it's going to be a very quiet rest of the summer on Amity from this point yeah, I pictured, I just pictured some t-shirt shop owner in uh, Jaws 2 who's like, all right, enough time has gone by. Time to get these, uh, time to get these I Survived Amity Island Shark Attacks t-shirts in the window. And then the first shark attack happens in Jaws 2 and he's just like, ah, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. just furious. <laughs> Just burn in all of these t-shirts, just like you didn't see nothing. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, oh, that was funny. a waste of printing costs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to see the spinoff movie about that guy who we have just made up. <laughs> He's just like, are you kidding me? Twice in the same island? Yeah. Are these sharks related or something? Do they have a personal vendetta against the Brody family? I mean, maybe a few more years later I can uh, I can try this again and then it gets to like Jaws 3, Jaws 4 and it's still going off and he's like, you know what? I give up. <laughs> <laughs> the novelty t-shirt market is not for me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he's Alrighty. just like, might as well burn the shop down, try to commit insurance fraud to recoup some of these costs. Yeah, yeah, they told me, they told me this was a foolish decision to make, but I, uh, I didn't listen. I, uh, yep. I... <laughs> oh, okay, uh, I mean, do you have anything else on, on this scene? I do, I have one thing that I, I did pick up on, but if you had anything else that you wanted to, to mention... Uh, you can go ahead. I have a couple, but go, go ahead. Okay. There is something odd about Larry's first line, right? Like, it doesn't come out of his mouth at all. I didn't um, notice. <laughs> so he says, in, and in the subtitles, and what I hear is him saying, see, it's all my fault. The, the way he says that line is completely different to the way he says the rest of the line. So it's clearly been dubbed over and the movement his mouth is making is not saying those words. Um, I noticed it. It stuck out like a sore thumb to me, like straight away. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. He said something different. Yeah, he sure did. So interesting. They either like made, uh, I don't know, just got him to like, they weren't happy with the with the line or something, and they 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 redubbed it. But interesting, it, yeah, it doesn't even sound like that happened in the same room. It's kind of like that uh, Richard Dreyfus line where he's uh, doing the autopsy, and mm-hmm. he says like, "See, this is what happens" or something. And we pointed out how weird that sounded, and it sounded like it didn't even happen like in the same film or in the same country. Even it sounded so odd, and this was like up there as well so (laughs) yeah my my ears picked up on this one yeah uh i did not notice that so the two things i noticed (laughs) one is kind of a point that you made earlier and i forgot to circle back around to and that is i think it's really important that uh larry's by himself here because he doesn't have harry in his ear and i think harry's Mm. like one of the worst influences on uh on larry and seeing uh seeing him solo like this like i think i think that almost drives the point home even more that we don't have harry like the 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 devil on his shoulder you know giving him the different ways the press can spin it or bury it in the in the back pages like larry's Mm -hmm. doing this on his own for arguably the first time in the movie Mm -hmm. um the second one is that maybe this is just 70s hospital sets, but this hospital feels like reminiscent to me of the hospital in The Exorcist. And uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any like real deep meaning between that. Like I said, arguably they could be reusing the same set. Uh, but it is interesting to me because I guarantee that film would have been an influence on Spielberg because it came out in 73. And that movie was gigantic and pushed a lot of boundaries. And so it just kind of makes me wonder if if there's a there's a little bit of a, an homage in in this, particularly when they're wheeling Michael out of the room. It just feels like there's it just feels like when they're in the hospital in the exorcist to me. Maybe it's just because it's 1970s aesthetics or what but it it just felt a little reminiscent of that to me um Mm -hmm. and we know that these guys like in this 
in this particular class of filmmaker tend to reference each other that way um like the uh the cape the cape fear shooting star um Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if have we talked about that on this show i'm not sure so (laughs) i can't remember if we have so the 91 cape fear remake that scorsese did uh spielberg was originally supposed to direct that film and he recommended scorsese to direct it and Mm -hmm. There's a scene right before the climax of the movie that's an establishing shot of the house. And in it, you see a shooting star streak across the sky. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. That's what Spielberg does. Spielberg does the shooting stars. That's not, that's not what Scorsese does. And so to the point where that's how I found out that Spielberg was originally supposed to make the film, I looked it up and that's why Scorsese put it in there because... There's a scene, spoilers for the 30-year-old movie, uh, there's a scene right after that where uh, Robert De Niro kills the housekeeper off screen and dresses in her uniform uh, and even does brown face, which is questionable, but he's super Mm -hmm. evil in the movie, so... uh, (laughs) um, But he, he kills her, dresses in her uniform, and hangs out in the house so he can confront the family. And apparently it was Steven Spielberg's idea to have him do that in the script. Like originally he was just going to go in and confront the family. And then Spielberg was like, what if he does this super messed up thing instead? (laughs) (laughs) And so that, that follows that exact establishing shot in the film. Um, So like the next thing we see after that establishing shot is that. So to me, him putting the shooting star in there is like Scorsese's signal of like, hey, blame Steven Spielberg for how screwed up this is about to get. Um, But this feels like, hey, the reason I'm able to make this movie the way I'm able to make it is because of what William Friedkin did on The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) that's really funny. I mean, that that, like we've said uh, many times before that Spielberg has a a Spielberg has a dark streak. Like you don't (laughs) see it very often, but when you do, (laughs) I think that is like evidence of it as well. And as is, as is this film, because Jules does some very mean things, like particularly early on in in the film. And it's, it is still quite lighthearted and, and optimistic, more optimistic than you would think a film about a killer shark would be. Um, but yeah, that's that's really funny. I did not know that before about the Cape Fear thing. But yeah, blame blame Spielberg uh, for for that <laughs> for that bit. Um, yeah, I don't think I I don't think I had anything anything else. I think that's um, that about does it for um, for this scene. Great. Um, well, uh, do you have anything you would like to plug, Sarah? Yeah, so um, I am coming to the end of my other huge podcast series. Um, So I've been doing a series for Jumpcast, going through the 59 uh, Walt Disney animated classics. Um, The most recent episode out, in fact, I think the day this episode goes out, um, our Frozen 2 episode will go out, and then we've just got Raya and the Last Dragon, and then our big uh, finale episode, and then that's it. But there is... uh, so many episodes uh for you to go back and listen to they're always going to exist so even if uh, i i won't be part 
of Jumpcast anymore or doing that series anymore. There are so many episodes that you can can go back and listen to. So um, yeah, you can uh, go and check that out. So just search for Jumpcast wherever you find your podcasts, or uh, or follow me on Twitter, and you'll you'll probably find me tweeting about it at some point. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Cool. Um, yeah, you can find me on Real Perspective, R-E-E-L Perspective. Um, we didn't get a chance to do our Fast and Furious episode because moving's hard. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> um, so I don't. We saw the film, but I don't. I don't know if we. Uh, some of us have to see it again, and I don't know if we want to put in that effort because it's not a very good <clears throat> film. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so something something is going to happen on Real Perspective soon. We need to have a meeting about it. It's just been it's been a wild month trying to get mm-hmm. settled. Uh, you can also find me. I don't know when this is coming out, so maybe I'll hold on to it. It should be out relatively soon. I was on a second episode of Fundamentals to uh, for the summer sitcom series that Harley's doing over there. Uh, I was on there to talk about one of my favorite shows of all time. 30 Rock, uh, which is a hilarious (laughs) show uh, that I think not enough people talk about. Um, And you were on there for The Good Place, right? Yes. Yeah, that that came out a couple of weeks ago. That was uh, that was a real that was a real good time. Uh, Always a good time to be had with Harley. But yeah, I I loved talking about that show. Um, One of my all time favorites. And uh, I mean, did did you get a chance to did uh, did Leap Day William come up and uh, and Leap Day William absolutely came up. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) Imagine not mentioning him. (laughs) No, to the point where you'll hear me on the episode be like, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this because he is figured heavily into the lore of uh, Let's Jaws for a minute. Yeah, unofficial mascot. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh. <laughs> um. So yeah, I will be on there soonish. It's it's coming up soonish. The summer's almost over. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. But also listen to those other episodes because they're good. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, thank you to our Ko-Fi or our coffee donors. It says Ko-Fi. Um, <laughs> Uh, Andrew Neal, Paul Griffin, and Dave Finn for uh, donating to our our little operation here, um, especially in the midst of our move. Um, it just helps to uh, to feel supported by you guys and, and feel, um, yeah, just kind of feel feel like you guys think that what we're doing is worth uh, donating to, and we appreciate it a lot. So, um, thank you guys for that. Um, speaking of which. Uh, you can donate to our coffee page uh, through a link in our Twitter bio. And uh, we are, are we doing, we're doing a second contest, correct? Yeah, so we we hit our first uh, goal and did the the draw for the t-shirt. As promised, uh, it was one of those recent donors uh, who won. So congratulations to Andrew Neal. Uh, he does know that he's won. By the way, this isn't the uh, mm. <laughs> this isn't the big reveal. Um, and yeah, so we we've set a another goal, a slightly higher goal than before. So the contest will will continue if you've already donated. Still eligible if you want to donate now or in the future until we hit that goal then then you will also be eligible so yeah just rolling it over to another to another contest but yeah we we hit our first goal which was uh, amazing much appreciated yeah. to everyone who gave yeah thank you all uh 
so much. Um, if you would like your own piece of merch, uh, you can you can either donate to the coffee page and, and try to, to win it, or you can go to uh, T Public and Redbubble. Once again, the link is in a link link tree on our Twitter bio. Um, and you can support the show that way. You can support the show uh, at no cost to you by just following us on your podcatcher of choice and leaving us a review and sharing our episodes when they come out or the episodes that you like the most. Um, that goes a long way to helping get our show, uh, one, up the ranks in in uh, the podcast charts and also just to get more ears listening to the show. So um, thank you if you have already done that. Thank you if you continue to do that. Thank you if you are going to do that. Um <laughs> You can follow the show on social media at Jaws for a Minute. Um, and once again, that's where all the links to the merch and the coffee page and all that um, reside. And the DMs are open there, so you can contact us there if you want to talk to us about Jaws or Sharks or whatever you want to talk to us about, I guess. Uh, you can also email <laughs> us at JawsForAMinute at gmail.com and uh just hit us hit us with any other info if you'd rather do that rather than the twitter dms um you can follow me at mj smith 891 on twitter you can follow sarah at sarah buttery s-a-r-a-h-b-u-d-d-e-r-y on twitter as well um you can follow our amazing uh mind behind our uh wonderful merch and logos um alex at hex shadow on twitter and you can also follow uh, the amazing mind behind our <laughs> incredible theme song, Tiger Shark, uh, uh, Kristen Falls, who is my wife. You can follow her uh, on Instagram at Kristen Falls Music. And you can also purchase the song on her Bandcamp. There is a link to her Bandcamp on her Instagram page. So if you want the full length, it's like a two minute song um, and you only hear a few <laughs> seconds of it uh, every week. So if you want to hear the full saga of this guy having his tiny mind blown by <laughs> realizing that there is a, a creature called a tiger shark, um, <laughs> you can go hear it on her Bandcamp page. Um, I think that will do it. Um I believe we will be having, uh, we are resuming our regularly scheduled programming, so be on the lookout for weekly episodes from here on out. I don't think that we will be taking any other breaks until the end of the film. Am I correct about that? Uh, I guess, uh, do we have one in October? Maybe a, a, a little break around Christmas time, I think, oh. is our only other mm -hmm. scheduled break, but yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Um yeah, so for, for the the remainder of the year at most, uh, or the most of the remainder of the year, I should say, uh, <laughs> you will be getting an episode every week, uh, barring any anything happening. Um, and yeah, it's it's good to be back. So uh, thanks for thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we'll see you next time. As always, it's Jaws o'clock somewhere. <laughs>